Let's talk to the Lord together. Father, I thank you that you give us opportunity all day long and even at night to talk with you. That you invite us, dear God, to tell you what's on our heart, the things that bring joy and the things that burden us. That you're always responsive to us, Lord, and you promise to always hear and respond. Sometimes, Lord, you tell us precisely what we want to hear. and Other times, Lord, you've already told us what you want and we just missed it. So we ask and we ask again and in that silence you want us to realize you've already spoken. Other times, dear God, you tell us to do something that we'd not expected. If we look back over this last week, Father, in our prayer times, I'm sure some, if not all, of those things have been our experience. We come together today because you made this possible. By loving us, by sending your Holy Spirit to us to convict us and to bring us to the point of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You've adopted us into your family And your spirit dwells in us today, and we're here as your family to give thanks to you. To thank you, Lord, for the things that are going on in our life that you're so much a part of, and to thank you for the things that are going to go on eternally as we spend eternity with you. I'd be remiss, Lord, if I didn't mention that Not a one of us have trusted you this last week like we should. Not a one of us have been able to see in the midst of our challenges your hand at work because so often, Lord, we try to wrestle that control away from you. So I ask you this morning to do two things for us, Father. First, to forgive us as we sincerely call out and ask for forgiveness for our little faith. And secondly, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us not do that again this coming week, but for us to trust you, for us to walk in your spirit and not in the flesh, for us to allow your Holy Spirit the freedom to work and not resist you, And for us to find pleasure in you being our God. And for us not to try to play God. Father, when we come together on Sunday, we're reminded oftentimes of the things that have gone on this past week. And if we do an inventory of what's going on in our world and the wars and the rumors of wars and the struggles that other people have and how people are mistreated. And if we look around our own country and some of the disappointment we have in what's happening in the transition of our land into something oftentimes that's not very pretty. When we look at those and take those inventories, Lord, it's concerning 
It's concerning to us because a way of life is changing and because our children and grandchildren are in real jeopardy. I ask you in the midst of that inventory to remind us that no matter what's going on in our world, you're God. You're a sovereign God. Nothing escapes your sight. Nothing happens that you don't either author it or allow it to happen and use it to your own ends. I pray, dear God, for those who are in leadership in our country and pray that you would work a spiritual renewal in them and help them come to terms with their need of you. And if they're full of themselves, I pray you'd deflate them so that they might see the truth about themselves and about you. I pray, dear God, that you'd bless those who wear uniforms this day and that you'd use the occasion of that uniform and their assignment to bring them closer to you. For those that are in harm's way, I pray your blessing on them and their families. For those, dear God, who have loved ones who are sick, I pray your blessing on the loved one as well as the family. You've made us connectional, Lord. You've bonded us together as friends and as family, and we care about each other. And I think, Lord, if we were to stop right now and go around the room, that every one of us could mention someone we're concerned about. Help us, I pray, Lord, to have faith and to know that you're involved in every situation. When we become depressed, lift us up. When we get into things that we shouldn't be into and try to find happiness, I pray you'd take those things away from us and direct us back to your spirit and back to yourself. Father, if there's somebody who's hurting here this morning, I pray that you'd put your hand on them and soothe that hurt and renew our minds so that we're reminded that you love us, that you let Jesus die for us out of that love and that you've called us to be yours out of that same compelling love. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the love that has changed our life. Thank you in the beautiful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew to the 25th verse, our 25th chapter. We're going to start with the 14th verse this morning. Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning with the 14th verse, and we're going to study through the 30th. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, our practice is to take the Pew Bible or your Bible, if you have one with you, and open it up to Matthew, and to go to that 25th chapter and put your finger, if you would, on the 14th verse. And once you've done that, then look up so I know we're ready to go on. 
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would now give us insights into your word as we read and as we hear. I pray that you'd guide the words of the sermon so that it would be true and touch our hearts. And I pray, dear God, as Paul prayed in his letter to the Romans, that you would now renew our minds, that we might be able to walk with you and talk with you, and that we might draw closer to you, and that we might be transformed so we look more like you every day. Use your word, I pray, and speak to us, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I looked at the passage and prepared to preach it this morning, I was reminded that there was a particular occasion when our Lord taught this parable on talents. He taught it at a time when he had just finished saying, and if you look back to the 13th verse in this chapter, you'll see it. He said, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour when I'm going to come again. And what he's saying is, you and I have a life to live, and we're in the midst of that life right now, and what he wants us to do is to be on the alert from now until either the moment we die and our soul goes to be with him or when Jesus comes again, whichever happens first. So he's talking to you and he's talking to me about how we're to live our lives from this moment on. He uses the word talent. And I did a little research on the word trying to understand what it means, and I found it means several things. In the Revelation, interestingly enough, that Greek word is used to mean a weight. Sometimes 50 pounds, sometimes 100 pounds, but a pretty massive weight. There are other places where the word talent is used to mean an ability that God gives to us. And he gives it to us with purpose, so we will use it to his glory. In other places, the word talent means some excessive wealth. All three mean the same thing in that God is saying to us they are of great value. Something's been given to you that is really significant to help you live from now until you come face to face with Jesus. So that's what it's all about. I want you to look at the passage with me and follow along as I read. I'm going to begin reading with the 14th verse. Matthew, the 25th chapter, the 14th verse. Listen, my friends, God is about to speak to us. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. 
The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many more. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put in your charge, you in charge of many more things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, you would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you look at the 15th through the 18th verses, they describe to us the distribution of these talents. And it goes simply like this. God gave five talents to one person. He gave two talents to a second person. He gave one talent to a third person. Whose talents were they? They belonged to God. He said God gave. These came from his inventory. He's the one who gives the blessing. He's the one who enriches our life with opportunity. And what he says is, he gave us ability. I sat down in my study and I was thinking about examples of God-given talents, of God-given ability. And I sat there and I smiled and I remembered our deceased son. When he was six years old, he could take a volleyball or a basketball or preferably a soccer ball and he could run with agility using both feet to kick that ball back and forth. And I watched him and I tried to do that. That wasn't pretty. But my little six-year-old boy could do that. He was given a talent as a child. And when he was in middle school, he was in a soccer game one Saturday morning and a goalie kicked the ball, and it was one of those sky balls that came down a bit midfield. And my son leaped into the air, feet over his head, and did a scissor kick, hit the ball, and kicked it back to the goalie. 
and landed on his feet. Now, I would have gone to the hospital if I'd tried that. But he did that, and when he did it, I was about 15 or 20 yards away from him, but on the same line with him, and I just stood and looked, and the entire game stopped. And both teams and the adults applauded what he had just done. It was the most fantastic thing I'd ever seen. You ever remember the name Pele? He made that. He patented that. It was on TV for months and months. Him leaping in the air, feet over his head, doing a scissor kick and kicking a ball. I said to our son, the moment he got in the car, I said, where'd you learn that? He said, I saw it on TV. God had given him the natural ability to do something. And he was applying that ability. The passage simply says to us, that God has given the ability, and one day there's going to be an accounting. One day he's going to bring us together and say, let's take a look at what I gave you and how you have used it. I wonder, do you know what your God-given talents are? You probably have more than one. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about natural talents. When you were born, they were invested in you. Have you ever stopped to try to figure out what they are? There's going to be an accounting one day. Might be a good idea to take some time this afternoon and say, hmm, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that's all about. Because God's expectation is that if he gave you five talents, that he would like you to use them and to give him the glory. If he's given you two talents, he'd like you to realize they've come from him. And he'd like you to use those and invest those in somebody else. And if he's given you one talent, folks, he doesn't want you to bury it. If you look on down at 19 through 25, he begins to describe the use of those talents. And it simply says that he comes back after being gone for a long time. This is one of the great human dilemmas. Jesus has come He has died, he's been raised from the dead, he has ascended and gone back to be with God, and he said, I'm going to come again. And over 2,000 years have passed, and all of this time, so many of us have said, well, I don't guess he's coming back anytime soon. And we live our lives as if there's not going to be an accounting. Beware, folks, he tells us, be on alert. I'm giving you talents, and I am going to come back, and I'm going to have a day of reckoning. And I'm going to look at each one of us in the face, and he's going to say to us, what did you do with what I invested in you? Did you take the five talents I gave you, and did you use those talents so they now represent ten? Or did you take the two talents I gave you, and do you now have four? He is going to hold us accountable. I thought about a friend. Years ago, I walked into a board meeting for the first time. And I sat down at the table, and I knew some of the men in the room, but I didn't know a lot of them. I was in another state, and it was a college that I had been appointed to the board. And a man came walking in who was elderly, probably about my age, And he sat down next to me, 
and he was kind of nondescript. He wasn't somebody you would notice. If he was in a crowd, you wouldn't pick him out. And he sat down next to me, and we all introduced ourselves, and he introduced himself with just a little bit of an introduction. And uh, I had never heard his name before. And during one of our breaks, he and I got a cup of coffee, and we started talking together. And I began to realize who he was. And then over the next three and a half or four years, I think he and I sat together at every board meeting because I went looking for him. I'd walk in and look to see where Hugh was seated. After I got off the board, Hugh only lived a couple of more years, and he died. He had become president of a large insurance company in our country that his grandfather had started. His father had worked in it and become president. He had worked in it, worked his way up, and become president. And under his leadership, the company grew immensely. That's not the important part. He set up a foundation with millions of his own personal dollars, and that foundation still functions today in the name of that family doing ministry. It's uniquely Christian. He was a ruling elder at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church in Tennessee, one of our churches, and served as an elder for years and years. He won an award for being a Christian businessman of note in the United States, number one. He was quiet. Never heard him say a bragging kind of comment on himself. He talked about the Lord. He loved his Lord and he loved people. And as I sat and thought about talents, I thought, you know, God gave Hugh five or more talents. And over a lifetime, he used those talents to bless a lot of people. On the other hand, I thought about a lady that I know who doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have position, isn't well known. She has a gift of hospitality. And I want you to know, I like to sit at her table anytime I can sit at her table. She is one good cook. And you know what she does with that talent? She takes food to other people when they're in need. She sees to it by taking the initiative to use her gift and her talent to be a blessing to somebody else. That's what God's talking about. He has distributed talents to us so that we might use them to be a blessing to someone else. And then he says to those who have done well with that, you're faithful. Wouldn't you like to hear that when you stand before him? For him to look at you and say, you've been faithful. You know what else he says to each of those first two? Not only have you been a faithful servant, but I'm going to give you more to manage. I'm going to entrust more to you. And he entrusts more to them. And then he says, and I want you to enjoy my joy. My goodness gracious, if you look around us, where we live, where we play, where we eat, where we socialize, you will see people all around us trying to find joy. And they look in some of the darndest places for it, don't they? And so often that joy brings hurt on them or on somebody else. And so often the joy they're trying to realize and to capture in their own life is a joy that will never 
materialize. It's a deception by Satan. But we think we can find joy. And he says to us, when you take the talents I've given you and you share those talents with somebody else, you're going to find my joy. In the midst of his tears, as his only begotten son died on a cross, don't you think God felt joy? For he was sharing with us, and he was saving us. And he's saying, come, realize the real joy of life. It's not out there. It's in here in a personal walk with the Lord. And the more we, the more we, the more, the more we understand him and him. Are you not settled in right now? And now something now now. The prescription is very simple. Know that he loves you. Know that he's already gifted you with talent. And he wants you to use that. And as you use it to touch somebody else, you're going to find an amazing thing. You're going to have joy in your heart. Because you're in lockstep with God. And you're being used by him. So if you're hurting, folks, do something about it. Do something positive. Do something for somebody else. And watch what God does. Good and faithful servant. And then he turns his attention in 26 to the fellow who got one talent. Now, you know, God gives talents based on our ability to manage those talents. So he doesn't just throw pearls before swine. What he does is he entrusts to us something we can manage. So he gave one talent to one of these servants, and that servant took it and buried it in the ground. And when the day of reckoning came, he went back and dug it out of the ground, and he took it as part of his accountability, and he presented it to God. And he says to God, You know, I didn't do anything with this talent. I just dug a hole and buried it because you're so hard. Because you're so demanding. And if you listen very carefully, what you hear are a bunch of excuses of why he didn't do something with the talent. And he blames God. And you can almost hear him saying, you know, God, you made me do this. You've never done that, have you? You ever blame somebody else instead of taking responsibility yourself? That's what the man's doing. He's saying, I didn't go where you wanted me to go. I didn't do what you wanted me to do. I'm not the man you wanted me to be, and it's all your fault, God. can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office and had a couple sit there, and they've come in for marriage counseling. And Can I use you all for an example? I was, is it okay if I use you? I tell everybody, you always ask permission, can I? <laughs> Privately. <laughs> a couple comes in and they sit down and they say, we have a problem in our marriage. I said, well, here's some ground rules. Let's talk about it. And you tell me what you can do to fix it in you. And you tell me what you can do to fix it in your life. They say, okay. And I said, now tell me the problem. And he says, she, and he starts blaming her. I said, wait, 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 wait. We broke a ground rule. Let's not do that. I said, just talk about what you've done 
that has broken this relationship and what you can do to fix it. I said, do you understand? Yes. Now she, and he starts again. So I give up on him, and I go to the lady, and I say, would you now just tell me, what can you do? And she says, I will. I say, what? well, he, it's kind of embedded in us that we want to blame somebody else. And what we're really saying is, I'm going to be disobedient, and I'm trying to get away with it. I'm not going to do what you want, God. I'm going to do what I want. This man with the one talent did just that. He said to God, you know, you made it this way. You set this situation up, and I could do no other. And God looks at him, and he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to entrust more to you, and you're going to find joy. He doesn't say any of that. He says to him instead, you are wicked. That's a hard word. It means bad. He says, you are wicked, and you're lazy. And that kind of sums it up. When we're disobedient, we are bad in the sense that we're not doing what God wants us to do. And when we will not get up and do something, we're being lazy. Let me ask you a question. Does it bother you a little bit that we have a lot of people in our country who are receiving food stamps and on welfare who just won't get up and go to work? Does that bother you? How about the Christian who's been given a talent and won't get up and go use it? Does that equally bother you? Aren't they one and the same? Do you understand? God wants us to use the things he's entrusted to us. And he wants us to use them in a meaningful way. And the flip side of all of this is, if we want to be at peace in this life, if we want to live the rest of our life until we meet Jesus with some sense of peace and purpose, we ought to be using the talents he's given us. He says a harsh thing at the end of the parable. I really want to just erase the 30th verse because it's not an easy verse. He says that the man in this case, and he represents millions of people, who in fact was disobedient, was wicked, and was lazy. He said, put him out into the darkness where there's the gnashing of teeth. You know what he's really saying? He's saying if you look back over a lifetime, instead of loving other people and using the gifts I've given you, what you've seen is a progression. And this is the natural outcome. He really doesn't have a place with me. I thought about that. And I thought very simply, we've been instructed to love God and to love one another. We're instructed not to make any exceptions. And when we do that, when we surrender and be the people God wants us to be. It's an announcement to us and to other people about where we're going to spend eternity. Because it's in keeping with what's going to happen to us even eternally. 
Do you see the pattern? Where do you fit in in that? One of the things that I've noticed about our church is that we do a lot of really meaningful ministry in lots of folks' lives. Not everybody does that. Some of you have talents that you've not shared, and you've gotten so ingrown taking care of yourself and your loved ones, and the joy has slipped away, and the talent has been buried. If you go home today and your talent's buried in that backyard, you get a shovel and go out there and dig that thing out of the ground. And you take that talent and you brush it off and get to using it. And you'll experience the joy that is so much a part of God. Do you hear? Let's pray. Father, you give us prescription after prescription about how to find joy and to enjoy this life. Not in the way of the world, Lord, but in a way that you have designed that has meaning and purpose. My prayer today is, Lord, if we are looking in all the wrong places and if we buried part or all of our talent in the ground, that you'd help us to rethink it and you'd help us to use the talents you've given us to your glory and to the benefit of somebody else, knowing that we're going to feel good about our relationship with you and feel good about ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement about how to live our life and what you want us to do in these latter days. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. If you had heard that parable 25 years ago, would it have made a difference in your life? Would you be doing things any differently today? I hope so. I hope that those of us who've been blessed by being in the church for a long time have heard the truth and we understand it. And we know how to go out of this church and live our life. And it's a design that he has set. God bless you this week. And God keep you. May you feel that joy and that peace in your daily life. And may you come back next Sunday saying, yes, Lord, it really works. God bless you and God keep you, my friends, until we meet again. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.